Well, this is the final week of the Corinthian series that we've been on this journey, digging through the book of First Corinthians for several weeks and uh, learning some things and how to apply them in our life. It's been really good. It is Memorial Day. Uh, everyone knows that Memorial Day was uh, derived from after the Civil War that the country united around the fact that they needed to spend a special day where that they remembered all those that... Uh, fell during the war in our country where we fought against each other. And they uh, come up with the Memorial Day being this uh, day every year. Uh, it'll be tomorrow, you know, for uh, where they recognize the fallen soldiers. And it's went on throughout after that first year. And it was in the late 1800s when they did this. So it's been over 100 and some years that they've been uh, remembering those that were lost and fallen during war times. I seen yesterday some posts about uh, just the sheer numbers that was that has fallen during each war, and uh, man, it's astounding what war brings, what division brings, and how it costs lives. And I think we ought to just have a moment of silence, just remembering those that have fallen for our freedom. So won't we all just, if you will, just please just bow your head just take a moment of silence and, and maybe pray in silence to God and just ask him to be with those families that lost loved ones recently to this war we're currently in. Our freedoms wasn't free. I think the numbers that I saw yesterday was that the Civil War cost about as many lives as World War One and World War Two combined. And that was the world was fighting each other. And in America, it come to a point over people's philosophy and what they thought was right. It cost over 400,000 lives to figure out who was right. How sad is it in a society that we allow divisions to take us to a point where we're willing, and even during those years that I've done some studies about the Civil War, that families fought against family, that it was brother against brother, it was fathers against sons, it was nephews against uncles, and these divisions bring harm. And sometimes those battles go on and linger on. You know, over in West Virginia, there was people still that was fighting this war multiple years after the war had ended. They were still fighting amongst themselves in their own families. And really, the Hatfield and McCoy battle was truly a continuation of the Civil War. And the divisions that come from people being isolated in their mentality to not give in or not willing to give up an inch on anything, but they've just got to be right. And it's a scary time and season in our country that we're in today as I look and as I study history all the time, I can see the parallels between today and then. That there's political opposition on both sides on extremes that will not give an inch in either direction. 
And there's topics that's hitting our country today. And there's ideology and, and philosophy that are separating humanity. And it's a scary season in our history as a nation. Does anybody else believe me? This is the truth. And I thank God that we're reading and looking at this book of Corinthians to try to look at it from the perspective of what says on the screen, the power of unity. Because if people ever get in a unity mindset, a unity spirit, where that we cooperate with each other, that we're willing to give. And, and we see this, the best institution I can think of to, to uh, symbolize this or be a picture of what I'm talking about in unity is marriage. Marriage is a unity. It's a, 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 a place where the two individuals meet together. And I was privileged yesterday to perform a marriage ceremony for a young couple. I think he's 23 years old and the girl was 20. <coughs> she just recently out of college and going on to get her nursing degree and stuff. And, and as we looked, and, and just to see that picture of the happiness on their face that marriage day. Have you ever been to a marriage where that it was like uh, they didn't want to get married? It's usually a, a sign of, you know, they're happy. And Well, I was sad today. I got married. I cried. Yep. Yeah, I cried my wedding day. It's like, oh, man, it's over. My freedom is over. <laughs> Poor Leslie. That's exactly right. But this picture, is, as we learn about in marriage, anybody that's married here, you learn that you have to give and take. There's no uh, domineering factor where that one side always gets their way all the time the rest of the marriage. It's a give and take on both sides that it's a, a place where that we can come together and agree together and finally say, okay, I'm going to lose this one just so I can win the next one. Maybe, maybe you plan it out. Maybe you try to come up with a game plan you've got. You, right, Sean's sitting there shaking his head. It's like, I'll lose this one. I'll give in on this one. I'll let you have that way. You know, Lori, you can have your way. But next time, I'm winning. I want to win. It's always fun to win, isn't it? It's just it's awesome to get a win. So this picture of unity, I want us to see that, that God is trying to unite, but the enemy is trying to divide. Always. God is always trying to unite, and the devil is always trying to divide. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, who's using you? Are you trying to unite, or are you trying to divide? I think that is a perfect picture of the book of Corinthians as a whole. As an entire book, if we look through Corinthians, that Paul was writing and instructing the church there to be united. That there should be a united church. Amen? Amen? Yes. So there should be a united church in Lewis and Greenup and uh, counties and Carter County and in Round County. And what county do you guys live in? Bourbon County. Bourbon County be a united church? That's kind of like an oxymoron, it sounds like. No, they're like bourbon church. I don't, is that what you use for communion, is bourbon? I don't, I don't know. It's just make your own, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, But the church should be united. It should be a place, a, a force to be reckoned with. And if the church would ever get united, 
I think we would see society where that it like it was during the revivals of old. That if you re read and study revivals in American history, that that during times of unity, during times where people are in in prayer and and are seeking God united and looking for God to do great things in society, He will move. During the Welsh revival and during the, uh, the Cane Ridge revival in in. Uh, Kentucky, there's been multiple revivals that's happened throughout time. The Azusa Street Revival out in California back in the early 1900s. There's been revival after revival. And a few years ago down in, in Florida, Pensacola, Florida, a great revival broke out in the 90s, late 90s. And, and thousands upon thousands of people were healed, delivered, set free from bondages, from sin, uh, from things that strangle us and, and bind us. And I look forward to revival, don't you? I look forward to seasons. And it comes in waves. I don't, I don't believe there's any revival. It's a, a lasting revival. It goes forever, but it's a season of refreshing. And the church needs revival. Needs refreshed. It needs a refreshing. And God's spirit is what comes when revival comes. And it doesn't matter denomination. I don't think that it's just one denomination has a, a handhold on revival to say that we are the denomination of revival. Amen? The Cane Ridge Revival was, was uh, basically uh, put on by two individuals that were the ones were the leaders and the, the founders of the Christian church. And those revivals during Cane Ridge that you read about, that people would, would be so overcome by the Spirit of God that they, were, they would, would shake and they would, they would fall out in the Spirit. And this is a Christian church movement. Go to the Christian church today downtown and see if there's anybody that's overcome by the Spirit and, and are, are just so overcome that they're shaking and can't contain theirself. And they fall out in the Spirit. It doesn't happen. There's some churches that do. But as we're saying this, that the Spirit of God, we've got to give Him freedom Amen. if we want refreshing. The only way you will ever experience the Holy Spirit being poured out in your life is for you to give Him access to every part of you. Jesus told it very simply. He says, when you give your heart to Jesus or to Christ or to God, that the Holy Spirit comes in and he sweeps the entire house is the picture that Jesus painted. And he said he cleans out your entire house. And as that cleaning happens, that purging happens, ain't you glad whenever you gave your life to God that He came in, the Holy Spirit came in, and He began to sweep the inside of your heart out, and He cleaned you up and made you a different person, and you're not like you used to be. Maybe you don't get as angry as you used to. Maybe you don't have outbursts of wrath like you used to. Maybe you're not as selfish as you used to be. And as we look at this, that the Holy Spirit is cleaning, that's a purging happening. And that's a good thing. And anybody that's ever give uh, your life to God knows what that feels like. And it feels like, a, what I've heard a lot of people uh, say is that it feels like a weight was lifted off your shoulders. If you're burdened down with the cares of this life, and it feels like a weight's on your shoulders, and it feels like you don't like going to sleep at night because you're just in total misery, and you think there has to be something more than this. That's a real good sign. You just need to call out to God and say, I'm opening up my front door and just go ahead and send the Holy Spirit in 
and clean every part of my life out. And when we give him access, things change. So in Corinthians, I want to end these last uh, few chapters. I'm just going to go through them really fast because we've got uh, four chapters to go for this last sermon. So do you want me to read the whole thing? I can read all four chapters if you'd like, or, or we can kind of just run through them here real quick and, and get out here by noon. That way we can go eat and everything be good and everybody have their family Memorial Day weekend parties and, and eat, eat some bratwurst or do whatever you're going to do. Mom's cooking hot dogs and hamburgers tonight at her place. So about 6 o'clock, if anybody wants to go to Mouth and Bonnie's, you're welcome to come and hope you got enough hot dogs, Mom. But... Uh, See that? I threw her under the bus, didn't I? That's good. That's what sons are good for. Okay, so as we look at this last portion of Scripture in Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, I just want us to talk about just for a few minutes some things that we need to look at in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12, we've already looked last week at chapter uh, 11. Chapter 12 says this. First verse is the one I really like. says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about spiritual abilities, the gifts give us, I don't want you misunderstanding this. The King James says it this way, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. It's kind of rude of Paul, wasn't it? <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, how ignorant are you? <laughs> pretty wild isn't it that Paul was brash enough or brazen enough to say I don't want you to be ignorant so really what he's trying to say in a roundabout way I think it's the nicest way he could come up with it he was telling them you are ignorant you know there's a, a, a right way to word things correct some people say what they mean but they're mean while they say it Can I say that again? Some people say what they mean, but they're mean while they say it. Body language, tone, the verbiage you choose, it all matters. And Paul was trying to be kind in what he was saying. Because God is a God of love. <laughs> How mean are you when you talk to those you love? Why don't you look over at your neighbor and just look them right now and say, how mean are you <laughs> when you talk to those, the ones you love? If we're going to talk about unity, this has got to be open access, right? If we want to talk about what unity means to God's kingdom, what unity means to God, then we've got to look at this book and say, God, what are you saying to the church in Corinth? Because that's probably the same thing you're saying to the church in Vanceburg. Yes. It's the same thing you're saying to the church in Kentucky Heights. God is wanting unity. But he knows if you're ignorant, there cannot be unity. There's one whispered amen. If you're ignorant, there cannot be unity. Because ignorant people fight over ignorant things. 
That's what division is. That's what divisiveness is. That's people being mean and saying, well, I believe this, and I'm going to say it whether you like it or not. I don't care if it hurts your feelings because I'm just going to tell you how it is. Old-time preacher, glory to God, and just preach and just stomp and spit and carry on, and, and preaching mean towards people, I don't know that's the answer according to God's book. I believe God is, shows his loving kindness towards us that the Bible talks about, that he's long-suffering towards us. Amen. Amen. So you can say what you mean, but that doesn't, have you, that doesn't mean that you are mean while you say it. So I want to be a loving preacher if I can be. Sometimes I may say things and, and I might come across as being mean. I don't mean to be. I don't want to be. But Paul is telling them, concerning spiritual gifts, you guys are pretty ignorant. What about to the church today? How much wiser is the church today about spiritual gifts than it was 2,000 years ago? They're even more divided. If you don't believe me, why is there 73 churches with 73 different books of doctrine in Lewis County alone? If there's not division in the church, maybe I'm just looking at things wrong. Does this book mean different things? Some people say, well, you interpret how you want to, and I'll interpret how I want to, and it's up to interpretation. I think it is what it is. Sometimes this book hurts my feelings. Sometimes I'll read through there and see that it says that I've got to act this way when I don't like to act in this way. Amen? When it tells you that a fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering... Anybody like suffering a long time? Does anybody want to sign up? I'll put a sign-up sheet on the back table back there. We'll get a piece of paper. Say, here's the long-suffering so that you can suffer a long time, and we'll put a sign-up sheet back there. See how many signs up. I'm not going to get in line. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it tells us that that's what we're to be. And what's that mean, the word long-suffering? It means that you'll suffer a long time for the benefit of somebody else. That you will put up with some people's ignorance for a long time, hoping and praying that they will change. Sometimes it's easy to get fed up. Maybe it's parents. Maybe you tell your kid every week to take out the trash. Mark, maybe you tell them every week, take out the trash. Take out the trash. You'd think eventually that, he, that little Mark would get it in his mind. Man, hey, it's Friday. The trash is going to run tomorrow. I ought to take out the trash. It ought to be eventually. But every week, take out the trash. Pretty much you can say, i got to suffer a long time with that. <laughs> Not picking on a little Mark. He's a good kid. So, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Does anybody here know the nine spiritual gifts? I just want to raise of hands. How many here knows what the nine spiritual gifts are? And you can list them down. If I had you to write them on a piece of paper, not look at your Bible, how many can write down the nine spiritual gifts? Raise your hands. Anybody? If you could spell them right, she says. Okay, so Mary raised her hand. One. Out of how many is here? Thirty-some, probably. So, what can we say? If Paul was writing this to the Corinthian church, he's writing it to the Bethesda church. 
God is speaking to us. And he says, I don't want you to be misunderstanding. I don't want you to not totally, fully understand these things. And if we can just list them out, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, faith, healing, gift of miracles, discerning of spirits, gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. There's the nine spiritual gifts. And Paul says, don't be ignorant of these things. And if they was for the church of then, they are for the church today. If they was for the church then, they are for the church today. How many wants more wisdom? I'll sign me up. Put that list on the back. I'll, I'll sign that one. I want that one. What about the, the, the word of knowledge? How about that gift? The word of knowledge where that you can, you can receive insight about what God thinks about where you're at and where you need to be. The knowledge, the power to get there. I want that, right? What about prophecy? Where that you can, you can go to your neighbor like, that's maybe hurting. Maybe they just lost a, lost a loved one. And how many's ever heard this said at a funeral? People says, well, I just don't know what to say. What if you had the word of knowledge or the, or the gift of prophecy to be able to speak to that person and encourage them through the Holy Spirit working through you and giving you the words to say? God is that powerful. If you will open the door of your life and say, Holy Spirit, here's my mouth. Use it as you wish. He will use your mouth. He will use your vocal cords to say what he wants to say. He could do it audibly right here, right now. We could shut up during a moment of silence and the Holy Spirit could ring and let the thunder be the words and the voice of God. But often in Scripture, you don't see it used that way. You'll see that people give up their, their abilities and say, God, use me, and God will use their vocal cords to speak to people. Read all the way through the book of Acts. You'll see where the... Paul and, and, and Philip and Peter and all these ones listed in the book of Acts that as they would give up their rights to their own vocal cords and allow God to speak through them, that he would speak to people. The point of the gifts of the Spirit, and they're so controversial, in the American church today and in the churches around the world, this is the most divisive chapter in the Bible. Chapter 12. There is doctrines laid out and churches divide over really the three chapters. Chapter 12, 13, and 14. And if you break them down just to look at them as in literal words that Paul wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit to the church today, it's pretty simple. Because Paul was writing to ignorant people and they got it. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I feel kind of ignorant about these things. Well, just go and read those three chapters and see exactly what it says. And you don't need my interpretation of it. You need what God says. You don't need me to tell you, well, this is what's right and this is what's wrong and this is what I believe and that's what my grandpa and Uncle Billy Bob used to believe and that's what Aunt Sally and she used to run around with her hair flying everywhere. It ain't about any of that. What does that say? <laughs> Pretty simple, right? I would rather keep it simple so that we can all understand. And I think God knows our simplicity of our mind. I think he knows how, how we are and our minds work. I, he created us. And if the Bible says he knows the numbers of hair on our head, I hope that is a symbol of knowledge or wisdom because me and Brother Craig is 
Oh, we got her here. Yeah, it's on her face. Yeah, it's still, still got it. It's okay. It's okay. Don't be ignorant about things. And if you're ignorant about them and you think, well, I don't understand all that or I, that doesn't make any sense to me, don't use your logic. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Don't use your logic. If you're going to talk about speaking in tongues, don't try to use your logic because Scripture will tell you in 1 Corinthians 14 that it isn't about your logic. It's not about what you think. So if you don't understand these things, study these things. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about them. I don't want you to not know what's going on. So he lists out very specifically in these three chapters about exactly what is the spiritual gift to the church. What does the church need to operate, to function properly in the culture that they was living in? If you think we're divided as a culture today, this culture at Corinth was a place where that it was like the New York City of that day that commerce flowed through there. There was money running out of people's ears. There, it was just too much to handle. But Rome was coming down and they was going to try to take out. So there was a division coming from a power outside. It's kind of like today. You saw how many states has been fighting and sending up the, and reversing the bill that Obama sent out, the regulation on the schools with the bathroom issue. State governors are sending letters back and saying, you will not impose your ideology on us. We are a sovereign state. The same thing was happening in their culture. There was division in Rome. It was cracking apart. It was dividing. And we had saw, if you study Roman history, you'll see that Nero and, and Constantinople and all these things that was going on, that there's problems in Rome. And Paul is telling one of these Roman cities that you can't be ignorant if you're going to talk about spiritual things. The only reason people are ignorant is because we don't study, we don't learn, we don't read, we don't try to divide and dig down, and we won't go to Bible study. Simple as that. That was a plug for your Bible study there, Sean. I won $5 yesterday. You, you can pay me now. You that's a plug. No, not really. I was disappointed winning $5. She won a set of wrenches worth I don't know how much. And I won a $5 piece of paper. That's true. That is true. And the Bible does say that. He that's first shall be last and last shall be first. So there you go. It was the Bible coming true on me yesterday. It's awful. That's true. That's true. <laughs> no. Yeah. She's got her garage. I got mine. So now she's got wrenches in her garage. Maybe she'll leave my wrenches alone. Right, men? Everybody say, who are men, right? You don't want them to count their messenger tools. They, they'll lose them all. So, okay, chapter 12 tells you these nine spiritual gifts for the church. That during a church service, there should be nine spiritual gifts flowing in the church service. There should be people that comes in, that's been praying, that's been calling out to God, that's been seeking God all week, and leaves their do door of their heart open. And if Albie's hurting this week, and she needs a word of encouragement, that she's looking for some wisdom in her life, Maybe some knowledge about some things going on. Somebody in the church service 
should be able to open their heart's door and say, God, use me. Use these vocal cords to encourage Albie. Amen. There should be prophecy coming forth from this pulpit to encourage you in the things of your life that sets a destiny, that causes you to want to shift from doing the normal to doing the abnormal in your life. What we call ordinary, if God puts his extra on it, it's called extraordinary. I want to encourage you in your life that there's more than what you've been living. As your pastor, I decree to you today, there's more to life than what you've been living. All you got to do is open your heart's door and say, God, I want everything you have for me. If your Bible says it, I want it. If it says that I can live and lead that kind of lifestyle, I want it. Is there anybody in the church today with an open heart, with an open door, that you're sitting here thinking, maybe there's more than what I've been living. Maybe there's more to life than the struggles that I've been facing. I'm here today to tell you that the encouragement on this scripture itself, there are spiritual things in this world. Sometimes we can't see those spiritual things. There's a world that's unseen all around us. It's a world where that you can read scriptures and understand scriptures to know that there's angels assigned to each and every one of us. If we could ever see the angels working on our behalf at the command of God, it would dumbfound us in the natural. If we saw how that he, you hear the stories all the time that people talk about that, that, that something told them to go back in the house and get something, then go back out and travel down the road and just within a few miles find out if they would have left on time, they would have been in the middle of a crash. This is what I'm talking about. There are spiritual things out there to unite you, to protect you. And how many wants to use every one of those? I'll open my door today, God. Use me in any gift that you see fit for the use of our county, for the betterment of our society. Whatever it is, God, use these vocal cords. When people talk about speaking in tongues, it's a divisive thing. And as you look, chapter 13, I love it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you want to talk about tongues, I think verse 1 is the best verse out of all of them in all of Scripture if you want to talk about tongues. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am nothing. If one thing that the Pentecostal church in the world tonight needs to hear, you can't say what you think. They'd be mean while you say it. I saw firsthand Pentecostal people that will speak in tongues around the altar and cry and holler and carry on. And they're mean, they're spiteful, they're hateful. That's not of God. Can I get an amen? I'm not saying tongues are not of God. I'm saying. Speaking in tongues and then being mean is not of God. And if I'm going to speak in tongues, what it tells me about in these scriptures, that if I have the tongues of men and angels, so that's telling me that there's two different vocabulary, right? Is that not what scripture says? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm nothing. 
means there's two different languages. There's a heavenly language. Look at your neighbor and say, there's something that the angels talk. I can assure you right now it's not English. I know we as Americans think that everybody's got to come here, everybody's got to speak English, and everybody around the world ought to convert to English, and we ought to just be able to talk in English. I don't think angels are up there like using English. I don't think that's, what, I don't think that's the heavenly language. I know we're perfect and everything as Americans and everybody else is wrong and we're right. I know that. I get it. I know there's no division in America. I know there's no divisiveness in America. I know we're just the perfect little culture that was just shipped off and here we are over here on this other world that the world used to not know about until Columbus and all those came over and until Jamestown. You know, that's when perfect began was when America began. I know that. You're right. This is not the heavenly language. Some people say that the heavenly language is the Hebrew language, that, that uh, the nation of Israel is the, the, the native tongue to the Hebrew people is the heavenly language. But I don't believe that a heavenly language is a language that is understood on this earth by human form. If you don't believe me, just read these three chapters. If you don't believe what I'm saying right now, just read these three chapters and see what you come up with. Just in black and white words, if you was gifted with the ability to read and learn, here you go. It's as simple as this. So these words, this verbiage that is used, if you see there in 1 Corinthians 13, that it tells us that these languages are of angels and of men. So if I'm talking to Brother Craig... And I'm using English right now, and I'm talking in the English language. He's understanding everything I'm saying, correct? He's learned this from the time he was a kid. So he's not ignorant of this language. I wish I knew another language because I'd start rattling in another language right now, and you probably wouldn't understand what I was saying. If I was talking in Spanish, you wouldn't know what I was saying, right? It's another language. <laughs> no, he's been on a truck driver on the road enough to know that's what he needs to understand. I bought Rosetta Stone one time. You ever, you ever watch the Rosetta Stone commercials? It's like the commercial, you know, for Rosetta Stone. that It'll teach you a new language, blah, blah, blah. It'll understand. It'll really help you. It's non-conventional and all its methods and blah, 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 blah. So I was all excited one time thinking, yeah, I'm going to go be a missionary and, you know, Years ago, and I, maybe I'll go to the Spanish world. Maybe I'll need to be able to speak to these all these Spanish-speaking people. And I bought this Rosetta Stone. Leslie got it for me, I think, Christmas or anniversary or something. I sat down, and it's got this mic that you put around your ear. That's, it's got an earbud in it, and then it's got a microphone that comes around to your face. So I sat there with this thing on, plugged into the computer, and it would bring up a picture of a horse. And it would tell me the word to say that tells me what a horse is. I can't even remember it. Cabrera, she remembers everything. I can't remember nothing. Okay, so that's that's the word for a horse. Then it would bring up the next word to say, okay, this is a white horse. So she's remembering all this. So I sat there and went through this. I mean, I spent like three weeks every day after work. I was really excited. You know how it is when something's new. You're like, yeah, I'm going to get this. And I sat there and went through all these little workshops and their little segments, and, and I knew what a black cat and a white horse and a Pink giraffe was. I don't know. <laughs> had all these things I was looking at. It couldn't understand me. I would have to say the same word because you have to roll your R's in, in Spanish, you know. I can't do that. My tongue's not made right or something. Glad I wasn't born in Mexico. Wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have been able to talk. 
So I tried this over and over and over again. It wasn't understanding. I have to say the same word because it gives you a little meter. It tells you when you're good enough to move on. I never got very far. Leslie sat down and one night, within a few hours, done more than I'd done in weeks. That makes me mad. Anybody ever get mad? So I get mad. I'm like, I ain't doing that no more. You know why? Because I don't like looking ignorant. I was ignorant. So I give up, and it's sitting on our shelf today. So if anybody wants to learn Espanol, uh, I got Rosetta Stone. I got the, I've got the rights. I've got the copy to it. Got all that. So you can use the little headphones that I was spitting in. <laughs> Trying to do that. It wouldn't work. That's, that's, that's the way I was going at it. So I get mad. I get frustrated, and it gets worse. <laughs> Everybody say there is a heavenly language. It's as simple as that. So whenever you hear people talk about speaking in tongues, what they're saying is there's a heavenly language that's above and beyond my native tongue that I understand with my mind. 1 Corinthians 14 very clearly states and spells this out. That I would rather speak in church, it says, five words in a known tongue. I'd rather talk in English here to you today in five words that you understand than say tens of thousands in tongues. That's what scripture says. Paul said, I'm not telling you, and it says at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the very last two or three verses of 14, it says, don't withhold tongues, don't speak against speaking in tongues, but it's not for the church service. There is a tongues and interpretation that's listed in chapter 12. That's a gift to the church. So I, I'm not telling you not to speak in tongues at church. I'm telling you it's a tongue and an interpretation for the body at the church. Amen? Amen. But there's a prayer language that you can pray in known as tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, that Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all. If Paul, the apostle, the chosen one that really formed the church and wrote all these epistles that we read and hold to know the Bible is true, said that I speak in tongues more than you all, and it's for everybody. He said that I would that you all spoke in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14. I would that you all spoke in tongues. Paul was wishing this for you. Because how many's ever been at a point in your life when you didn't know what to pray? Yep. Amen. Has anybody ever been up against the wall and been at that point where you was like, man, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I'm at a loss. I can't even pray anymore. That's what tongues is for. Romans chapter 8 very specifically tells you that when you pray in the Spirit, it's even against the knowledge in your head. You don't even know what you're praying about, but God is praying for you, through you. Amen? Amen. Controversial. I'm not saying that this is not controversial because it is. It's divisive in the church. But what makes it divisive is because people are ignorant of it and they won't read these three chapters to know exactly what it says. 
If it tells you not to speak in tongues, that's what Paul said. I'd rather speak five words in the native tongue of the church than speak tens of thousands in tongues. Then guess what? We shouldn't speak in tongues in the church service. Other than the gift of the tongues and interpretation. Amen? Amen. That's what it says. Is there ignorant people in the church that comes in? I've been to Pente- I've been to the string Pentecostal churches. I've watched them roll bubble gum in the floor. I've seen it all. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I've seen it all in Pentecostal churches. Because I was when I got first got saved, I was so hungry for God. I opened up my door and said, God, I will go anywhere and do anything, and I'm going to learn everything I need to know about what church is, because I want it all. Is anybody hungry for God? And the way I learned about these things that they happen and the way they happen in churches is because I went there. I didn't depend on mom to tell me that's what a Pentecostal church was or Aunt Mary to say this is what they do down to the church of God or anybody else to try to tell me what somebody else believes. I've been to Slate Holler Church where Janie uh, and, and Missy grew up. I've, I've seen all forms of churches. Yeah. And I'm not speaking ill of them. They're just doing what they was accustomed to doing in, what did we say one time, Missy? It was a, there's a word. Like their heritage. They, they grew up that that was normal. Right? It's normal. And sometimes people take their experience and put it over what the Word of God says. Because they say, well, the way I grew up and the way my grandmama taught me was, this is how you do church. Albie said this before, too. She grew up in an extreme Pentecostal church. Albie has saw this firsthand. And she says, wherever you read 1 Corinthians 14, it tells me that what they was doing isn't what Paul told them to do. Simple as that. I'd rather do what the Bible says than what somebody's telling me to do. Amen? And the way I want Bethesda to operate is according to that book. 1 Corinthians 15 says it talks about the afterlife. Anybody want to know what it's going to be like in heaven? Anybody got a lot of knowledge on that? Anybody understand what's going to happen? What kind of body are you going to have? Is, is there a resurrection of the dead? Is there all these things? What's going to happen? Is there a rapture? Earl Brown last week, week before last, woke up in the middle of the night in a sweating dream seeing a fireball come over Lewis County and he was driving through the county and he was driving through and the fire was just consuming everything and everybody. This is Earl Brown. He said, I don't have crazy dreams. And he asked, what's the interpretation of this? What's God saying to me through this? What does the fire always represent in Scripture is what I look back to. I told him, I said, okay, according to Scripture, if you look back, it was a fiery uh, ball up on the side of the hill when uh, 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 Moses went up to meet with God. It was a bush that was consumed with fire that wasn't consumed. God was always represented by fire throughout the Old Testament. So what's it mean to Earl Brown? That a fiery blaze is coming to Lewis County. 
How many would like to see revival? Where that your neighbors, your grandkids, those that's addicted to drugs, those that's bound by alcohol, those that's got all kinds of vices of this life would be set free by the Spirit and the anointing of God. And it doesn't matter to me if they come in. They, it doesn't need tongues and interpretation in a church for somebody that's hurting to know that there's a God that can set them free. I want the spiritual things of God where that it breaks down bondages, that it brings people together, that it unites, that it causes us to see in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is an afterlife. There's more than this. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And who is going to go there? And how are they going to get there? 1 Corinthians 15 very clearly spells it out for you. 1 Corinthians 16. Paul ends it all. What I love about Bethesda is we're a missions-minded church. Paul tells the Corinthian church there in the hub of the world to put together an offering all throughout the week that you bring to the storehouse every week to send to the missionaries that's taking the gospel around the world. That's what he says. First few verses of 1 Corinthians 16. Then he goes on to give them the well wishes like he always does. He tells them who's greeting with them, who's loving them, who's caring about them. If you don't think that we're a missions-minded church, just yesterday alone, 19 little hoodlums met up to Kentucky Hot Kansas, had an awesome time. Sean gets to act like a kid because he was never allowed to be a kid when he was a kid. They adopted him in the youth group. <laughs> I wish you could heard his testimony that he told during the business meeting. Some people think business meetings are dull and boring and there's no fun in that at a church business meeting. You ain't never been to Bethesda business meeting. Might learn something. All those little kids up there got to kick off their summer how many would like to see all those teenagers on fire for God? Amen. How many would like to see that blaze that Earl saw in his vision? I would rather see it happen on the youth first because they're more adaptable. Amen? The older we get, the harder our head gets. Amen or oh me. <laughs> I ain't saying God can't fix us, but it's harder to change somebody that's 50 than it is somebody that's 15. We're more pliable the younger we are. And what if God would consume that teenage group? And there was a bunch of them missing. That was just the ones that came. Nineteen was there, and there was a slew of them that wasn't there. Some on vacation out of town all over and everything else. And they had so much fun because the church has some people that will go and cook hot dogs and grill with them and grab a rope and yank them into some mud. Because we love them. And that wall of money back there is not a joke and it's not about money and I could care. I wish the world didn't have money. I wish the church would just operate and didn't have to have money. But it don't. If you've not grabbed at least, I don't know what's left, what's the least one up there? Nine. Nine dollars cheapest one back there you can get by with now you've waited too long to get the one dollar one it's your fault 
If you haven't got one, grab one before you leave today. Bring it back next week because I want the teenagers during their camp to have the best camp they've ever had. Is anybody with me? What I did, I grabbed my age. I'm 39 years old. That's the one I grabbed off the wall. Maybe you're over 47. That's the last one back there. You might have to add two or three to get together to get your age. I want everything God has for our church. How many will stand with me? Stand up. Don't be confused by the Bible. Just take it at its word. Don't leave here confused. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the people that's here today. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds. Lord, that you would open our spirit, man, to understand what you're saying to us as a church. Lord, I pray for our body. Lord, that there would be no divisions among us. But, Lord, that you would unite us. Lord, I pray over this next sermon series that will begin next week about our Father, about how to pray. God, that you're going to teach us so many things over these next few weeks about how to pray. Lord, just, just come in and move amongst our church. And, Lord, let the, the vision that Earl Brown received, God, for Lewis County and our surrounding counties. God, it's not just to us alone here. Lord, set us on fire for you. Let us do your desire, your will. Lord, I pray over every person here. Lord, that during this message today that opened up their heart, that opened up their mind and said there has to be more than what I'm living. God, I pray you send in the Holy Spirit that it would clean up their life. Lord, take away anything that hinders their walk with you. Clear out the mess, God. Lord, even in my life, I'm so busy, I'm so anxious, I'm, I'm doing so much and going so many different directions. Lord, I pray today that you would purge me from the inside out of those things that hold me away from you. Help me to do your will. Use my voice to be your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.